So, I'm dropping a heavy podcast today on Christmas of all days. Oof. Merry Christmas, friends. I pray the season finds you all well, and may the Savior grant you peace. For those who are struggling with seasonal depression or just missing those that you've lost, I'm prayerful for you, and I hope you can find some joy. This podcast is about church hurt. It will be pretty heavy. I interviewed a few people who will remain anonymous, but I will address a victim of assault. If that's something that you can't handle, please prioritize your mental health over this podcast. I wanted to do this episode for primarily one reason. How I've seen churches handle those who have been hurt. If someone leaves because of how they were treated, it's just, oh, they just wanted an excuse to leave. I think that's number one, an unfair assumption to make, and number two, if that even is the case, how do we help them see how worthwhile Jesus is? The people who leave the faith often aren't shown compassion or empathy, but more of a don't let the door hit you on the way out. I'm going to talk about some of the interviews I did interspersed with my own experience. And then I hope to give you some things to help those who are hurt, and ultimately, the hope of us all. I'm not here to complain, but rather just to be real. If imitation of Christ is our goal, we must love and seek out the lost. So as I mentioned, I did some interviews for this podcast. Here are some stories and things that may open your eyes to what has happened to some in our congregations. Abuse came up a few times in pretty heartbreaking fashion. I spoke to one person who grew up attending services. She participated in those kind of modesty, purity culture classes where you take apart a flower to represent a woman's worth if she sleeps around. I'm not saying that we ignore sexual sin, but what exactly is being taught by that lesson? Then... It played into when this individual was sexually assaulted on a date. She was the one who ended up feeling guilty. For her, the teaching of the church taught her that even if someone sinned against her sexually, it was her fault. And when she confided in someone, she was told that she had sinned. And so she had years of training about modesty meanwhile she the entire time she's being objectified i think it goes without saying that women in churches need to be encouraged in their knowledge as they seek out the kingdom not just treated as objects that's far from the way that jesus treated women the church should be a place where people feel loved and challenged to grow encouraged and closer to Jesus, not a place to batter those who are already hurting. It's hard to know where in this conversation I felt closest to crying. But one of her final stories really got to me. She was struggling with her faith and made the bold decision to come forward and confess her insecurity in the faith. That is an incredibly brave thing to do, an incredibly bold decision. But when she did, the elders brought her back for a meeting and told her they thought it would be better off if she left. When someone has the bravery 
and the trust in you to confide, how could you just turn them away? What would possess someone to inflict that time of harm? I've struggled with that story. Another major issue that occurred was over the treatment of those in the LGBTQ community uh, plus community or potentially mischaracterizations or hypocrisy surrounding the community. The Bible does teach about marriage and the ultimately divine union that God has blessed humanity with. I'm not going to concede ground on that. However, the treatment of the members of this community is incredibly damaging. One person I spoke to said that she had heard people refer to a queer person as an abomination. Now, I may be wrong, but places I've read in scripture refer to practices as abominations, not people. So, in our calling out of sin, it seems like there has been an overcompensation. It reminds me of James 3, where he writes, With it, our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the image and likeness of God. Again, I am not an advocate for same-sex unions, but do our interactions with this community reflect that we love them and desire for them to find the better way in Jesus? Do they understand that we actually care about them, or do all they see is cursing, mocking, and vitriol? I'm not quite to application yet, but I'd still like to point to the example of Jesus here. Matthew 23 is a scathing rebuke, but it's of the Pharisees who knew better. When we approach people who don't know the gospel or don't know scripture very well, should we be going at the Matthew 23 style? Or maybe like Jesus with the woman at the well in John chapter 4, or perhaps with the man born blind in John chapter 9. People should know that we disagree with how they're living their lives. But they should also know that we care deeply for them, willing to even sacrifice ourselves and pour ourselves out for them. All too often, it is us versus them instead of remembering. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. There's a notable lack of mocking in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Two of the people I talked to noted that the things they heard were certainly ugly and more hurtful. We have to be mindful of how we speak, especially to this community. Is our goal to actually be helpful to them or merely to tear down another image bearer of God? Another thing that was hurtful that was brought up was legalism, and perhaps not in the way that you're thinking. Legalism is the insisting on practices that are personally convicting but aren't bound by scripture, but then you bind those on other people. Now, everyone has strong personal convictions about things that we personally can't do. Our responsibility is to respect the boundaries other people give and still be united in that, but not force our personal issues on other people. Now, 
It's easy to see how that would hurt someone if we are overly legalistic. But in the case of one of my interviews, he mentioned in his raising that he was very critical of other people because of legalism. He heard very often, I can't believe someone who calls himself a Christian would do X. But it's about shallow things. And it was never done to help or encourage people in that position. If we believe that what we're living and teaching is true, why would we put up the weakest argument out there? Shouldn't we be trying to actually help people grow by talking about the difficulties of potentially some arguments? Shouldn't we be testing everything against what's true? And so legalism has this effect. Your faith is better and stronger than everyone else. And that means that being friends with anyone has the potential of leading you astray. It also leads to questions surrounding, how can I receive care when I actually do need help? How do I ask for help? Because if you're so good, how could you reach out and tell someone I'm actually not doing so great? This also leads into how we handle mental health. I'll address this quickly. Matthew chapter 6, 1 Peter 5, Philippians 4. None of these passages are about brain chemistry being off. They are about faith and trust. We do a disservice to those struggling with mental health when we tell them to just pray about it. It would be like having a finger cut off and just saying, just pray about it. You should pray. But God has also blessed us with people who specialize in treatment of all sorts, and so they should be encouraged to seek that treatment out. It should be noted that research has pointed in the direction that intrinsic religiosity helps us with our mental health. And there are plenty of benefits of being in a community. Our churches ought to be places where the people of God can be comforted, not afraid to share their struggles and weaknesses. Politics were also a featured part of my questioning, and it is a pretty personal issue for me as well. A couple of things of note. Posting on social media was mentioned quite a few times. Christians ought to handle our social media differently than other people, frankly. We should be thoughtful and prayerful that our post brings more hope, joy, and peace, and truth to the world, not adding to the quagmire of frustration and anger. One of my respondents noted that they had heard taught that Democrats can't go to heaven. That's just unacceptable and unhelpful. Now, I'm going to include myself in the section just because this is where my views often get conflated. I, in my preaching and teaching, do not treat racism as a political ill or a political issue. It is a spiritual issue. It is sin. One of the things I heard in 2020, primarily after George Floyd, was the idea that black people are born with a higher likelihood to be worse sinners. I've tried to erase that from my brain, but it's hard. If I preach or teach on racism, I've been told that I am too political and I need to keep politics out of the pulpit. I beg you just to be thoughtful. That Christians are to be united in key issues like the divinity of Jesus, his crucifixion and resurrection, the importance of scripture. But we are going to have differing opinions on politics because we have different life experiences, different ways our minds think. In Christ, we are to be united in service and love. You can have your opinions, 
but do not let them harm your witness towards your other Christians or people in the broader community. I think all of what has been talked about boils down to one story I heard in an interview. This individual was sitting in a Bible class, and the question came up, what is more important, love or knowledge? A hand was raised, and they said, knowledge. And the teacher agreed. Not only is this wrong, but it's straight up unbiblical. 1 Corinthians 13.2 And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. We are told by that same apostle in Ephesians to speak the truth in love. Truth matters. Churches should always stand up for truth. But if the love isn't there, a love for God, that church is nothing. We see Jesus mention the loss of the first love of the Ephesian church in Revelation 2. If love isn't in our churches, why would people come? Is Christianity merely an intellectual pursuit, or is it a love that demands your all? What if we don't love our neighbor? We won't evangelize to them. Or if we do, it'll be harsh. It won't be compassionate to their struggles. We'll see them as numbers entering a baptismal, not a soul that heaven is rejoicing over. Why do people get hurt by churches in instances like these? It is because we are not loving as we ought. I'm not going to act like this podcast has a lot of societal reach. But I want to encourage you who are listening to it that you can make a difference even as an individual. When a woman or a man has been assaulted, you can be with them, weeping and serving them. They have been sinned against. They don't need your condemnation, but your compassion. The LGBT plus community are a group of people who feel unwelcome and marginalized in society, and they're especially unwelcome by God and in religious spaces. When you show them compassion and you love them, that will reflect the love that God has for them as well. No one is too far gone from the mercy of the Lord. Remember that you have a conscience like other people. Make sure that you are loving the word of God, checking for logs in your own eye, and seeking mercy before you make assumptions or even trying to correct someone. And remember, your neighbor of any party or creed is made in the image of God and is loved by him. Make sure you aren't making an obstacle where God has made a highway of holiness to himself through Christ. If we love God, we need to love in the sacrificial way that he does. We need his compassion, and we need to show that compassion to others. To those who have been hurt by the church, I'm sorry that you have been dealt this pain by people you believe that you could trust. I've been there. I've struggled with harm that has happened to me and to others, and hearing these stories has brought back some thoughts. But I urge you to come back for two reasons primarily. Number one, Christianity is true. 
It is unlikely that Jesus was born on December 25th, but the story is still true. That God loved you so much and did not want to be separate from you. So he became a man and he died on your behalf. God is good. And the story of his love for you is true. But also a second thing. The church is filled with people who need grace, just like you. It is easy to complain about church people and their bigotry and how they have failed. But I also believe Charles Spurgeon's quote holds true. We are too prone to engrave our trials in marble and write our blessings in sand. A moment I'll never forget was after I preached a lesson and referenced Amar Aubrey. That story hit me really hard in 2020 and filled me with a lot of anxiety and I had stopped running at that point. An older lady at my congregation immediately gave me a hug after I was done and said, I didn't think about you when I heard that story, but now I do. I'm so sorry and I'm praying for you. That moment lives with me and I love thinking about it. That moment is one of a million ways that people, flawed people, stuck in their ways people, but by grace seeking Jesus step by step have served me. These are people who have helped me with car trouble, who have helped me move, who had cared for me in my lowest. Just last week, some members anonymously paid for my lunch and considered it no big deal, nothing at all. I don't want to claim your hurt was nothing, and I don't want you to hear me saying that. I don't think it's just a matter of getting over it either. It may take time. But they need grace, just like you do. People will fail you, and I'm not going to lie, you'll likely be hurt by people who are supposed to be doing better again. But by grace, we will, as flawed as we are, enter the kingdom together. I pray that you come back to the Lord. And for you who still remain in Jesus, make sure that you are making the church a place where people are loved, taught the truth, forgiven in failure, and welcomed in Christ. Merry Christmas. God bless.